Okay, if you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn them to Luke chapter 7. Lawson, if you wouldn't mind uh, giving them some light so they can act like they're reading their Bibles this morning, uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Luke uh, chapter 7, we've been in um, this chapter for now our fourth, this is our fourth week in it, and, and what we are typically, what we're mainly seeing are these interactions that Jesus is having with with people that, that we would kind of consider meet and greets. Uh, as if you were at the airport uh, and you were in a line as you're buying whatever magazine or whatever book or whatever snack you're going to take onto the plane. You run into some someone significant and you would spend kind of the rest of your day or the rest of that season saying, hey, remember that time I told you about um, when I saw, and I think like Tony had one where he saw Mike Tyson you know, just hanging out in the airport, and and of course Tony would, you know, hound him and hound him and hound him until finally guy took a picture. And anyways, now Tony says him and Mike are the best of friends. And uh, but but what we're finding in chapter seven are, are very much moments like that, but they are much more significant because of what Jesus does in those moments. He he literally changes these people's lives forever. Like they they would never, they should never, I would think get tired of telling the story of the time they ran into Jesus. And we started chapter 7 with this, this experience that, that Jesus has with a centurion who, where Jesus is amazed by his faith because the centurion understands something significant about the authority of Jesus, that, that he has this ability uh, to, to not just heal uh, but to forgive people of their sins and and now that's what we took away from it and then the next week we walked in as we watched just jesus respond mercifully to the grace i'm sorry to the grief of a widow Uh, she had just lost her son as jesus is walking into town the funeral procession is coming out and and he just stops the funeral by raising the son back to life and we we watched how he is um he is our king who, who is merciful to us in our grief, and he shows compassion. And then last week, we, uh, the fame of that uh, experience spreads throughout the land. And, and last week, we walked into this scene where we, we wrestled with John uh, as he sends, John the Baptist, as he sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus a question. Are you the one, or should we keep waiting? And... And we, uh, we just kind of walked through that scene and we watched how Jesus gracefully kind of responds and mercifully really uh, responds to John's question. And now where we'll be today is kind of an extension of that scene, which we'll get into. And then God willing, assuming I don't get fired next week, uh, that, that we'll be in the, the last part of chapter 7 where we see uh, Jesus is really the Savior of the biggest sinner. Now, I say that because it's really important to me, to me in this season uh, that we would have an accurate view of who Jesus is. Uh, that, that when people say, who is Jesus to you? Ultimately, what we want is you to be able to explain uh, that, that he, is, he is your Lord and your Savior who you cherish as the King of your heart. That, that he would have such an effect on who you are that that, that would spill out and that would overflow and and not just your words but your actions with other people and and like i said what we're going to see today is is primarily 
how we respond to Jesus when conflict and uh, I'm sorry, uh, when uh, we're, we're going to see this this conflict of what happens when uh, when when grace and pride run into each other. Okay, now now it's going to take us just a little bit to get there, and it's really if we pay attention, it's remarkable. It's remarkable how Jesus does this uh, because we're going to we're going to start here and then we're going to end like over here. Uh, and, and the way Jesus crafts this whole scene is, is just, just remarkable because he's going to expose some people. And I, and I think he might expose some of us uh, here today. And, and so let's, let's bring you up to speed. Jesus uh, brings his son back to, uh, brings his widow's son back to life. And then, then the report kind of spreads. And then John's guys show up. And, and now remember John the Baptist, he's the, the herald of Christ. Uh, he breaks basically a 400 year silence uh, and he speaks to people and he preaches and he proclaims that the Messiah is coming, that he is out there. And, and Jesus, uh, John will go out to the wilderness and, and he will baptize people and he will call them to repent from their sins and he will call them to produce a fruit that keeps in line with repentance. And, and now at the end of, as John gets to baptize Jesus, which is just a beautiful moment for him. We find John next arrested because he steps into the gap and he calls Herod the Tetrarch out. And he says, hey, what you're doing with your sister-in-law is not right. Uh, and then he, he calls him on the, the, to the mat on a couple of different things. And so John is arrested. And remember, he's sitting in this cell and then reports about Jesus come in and, and he sends that question. Are you the one or should we continue to wait for another? And again, essentially what John is asking is Jesus, can I trust you with my life? Because this scene, this season of my life, this chapter that's being written is not how I expected it to be written. And so can I trust you? And it says, as the, the, John's disciples asked Jesus that question, uh, in that hour, Jesus gives evidence that he is the one. That it says that he heals the sick, that he, he exercises demons, that he restores sight to the blind. And then almost with a smirk at the end of that, he looks back at John's disciples and says, hey, go report to John what you've seen. Let him know that I am who, who I say I am. Let him know that I am the one that he has been waiting for, that he doesn't have to wait any longer. Now, now I think the struggle with that is John's story doesn't end the way that we would expect it to, uh, because, because he will end without a head, but he will also end with this blessing. And so as we see this, Jesus responds by giving this evidence, and, and John is, and he ends this statement, Jesus ends this statement with, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And so that's where we're going to pick it up. Luke chapter 7, and we'll start in verse 24. It says, when John's messengers had gone, okay? So, so the scene is over. Jesus has looked at John's disciples, told them, Blessed is the one not offended by me. It says, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak. To the crowds concerning John. And he asked this question. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in 
soft clothing. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. So, so here's, here's ultimately what's unfolding. John's disciples leave and Jesus looks at the crowd and he needs to respond about what he is, what they've just encountered. Because surely, as this scene is unfolding, these people hear about John's doubts. And then surely they, 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 they want to, they raise questions about the authenticity of John's faith because John is a significant person. In fact, we're going to find out there are people in this, in this scene right here who are baptized by John the Baptist. And yet now he comes and he brings this question, wait, are you the one or should we continue to wait? And so, so Jesus seems to want to prevent the crowd from reaching the wrong conclusion about John. And so he asks them a series of questions. In fact, actually he asks them the same question three different times. Okay, Anytime we get into the Bible and we see Jesus ask a question three times, he's trying to lead us to a significant point. And so he comes in and he says, what did you go out to see? You heard about John. Right? And you went out and you saw John. Some of you guys were baptized by John. So, so now that you ask this, now that you start to wonder who is this guy, Jesus just says, I want you to ask yourself, why did you go out there in the first place? And he said, he said, what did you go out to see? Did you go out there to see a weak man? In fact, he says it this way. He says, a reed, right? He says, a reed shaken by the wind. Did you see someone who was weak out there, guys? Like, no. John said the hard things to the right people. John stood before kings. And he proclaimed the goodness of God. And he talked about, the, about, about our need to be made right with God. So he's not a weak man. That, that John was so strong that when, again, we said this last week, that, that when his disciples were like, hey man, that Jesus guy is more popular than you now. How do you feel about that? And he's like, absolutely. It's like, I know who I am. And I know the role that I'm supposed to play. He says, I must decrease so that the fame of Jesus will increase. That's the strength of this man that we're talking about. And then, then he says, did you go out there and did you, did you find a man in soft clothing? Which I love the way he puts it. He's like, did you go out there and see a celebrity? It's like, no. You didn't see a guy who was just trying to get ahead. That, that, that John wasn't benefiting, you know, on, uh, on the back of the ministry. You didn't go out there and see a guy who's wearing a Rolex and, and driving a Bentley and, and flying around in jets. You didn't see that. He lived simply because he lived for the singular purpose of one. He says, so who did you go out there to see? This wasn't the tour, right? You didn't buy tickets for, for John and his night of worship. So who did you go out there to see? And then he asked this question, a prophet? And by bringing that word into the equation, what Jesus does is he says, you went out there to see someone significant. 
And I love this because, again, what Jesus is teaching us is that you can have doubt and faith reside in the heart of the same person. That John all of a sudden isn't disqualified because he's like, God, what are you doing in my life? So he says, a prophet? And then he stops and he says, no. You saw more than that. You saw more than that. That that John is promised. He has this specific endorsement that we find in Malachi chapter 3. That he would be the forerunner of the one who is to come. And the crowd needed to know that they had seen a prophet whom Israel had awaited before they received the Messiah that God had promised. So he says, I need you to understand that John isn't just this guy. And so he says this in verse 28. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. And that's an, that's an incredible endorsement because what has John just done? He just brought to the, the equation, hey, I have some doubts about the way this is working out, God. So it's not like Jesus says this, and then John's disciples show up, and then Jesus is like, well, I kind of already said this thing, so I can't back out of it now. This is after the fact. And he says, says, I tell you this, those among, I'm sorry, among those born of women, none is greater than John. And this man is imprisoned, and he's doubting, and he is still considered among the greats. Like Jesus has said, this guy's greater than, and he brings out their, their greatest hits. This guy is greater than Isaiah. This guy is greater than Elijah. He's greater than Jeremiah. He's greater than Ezekiel. He's greater than Daniel. And then he says something that will be surprising, which will spark I told you, we're going to start here, and then Jesus is going to end us over here. And it's going to happen right in this moment, at the end of the last half of verse 28. Because he's going to say something that sparks this, this, this response from the crowds. He says, I tell you this. Among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now, now, although John exercised really the highest role, he, he still lives on one side of the cross, that we get to live on the other side. So he has kind of this half gospel that he gets to proclaim, that, that hey, you need to be forgiven of your sins, and now we get to live on this other side, that the forgiveness of our sins comes through the lane of Jesus. And so John will die before Jesus goes to the cross. And so, so he doesn't get to live in the fullness of this promise of what Christ has done. And so, so John dies before Jesus inaugurates his kingdom. And in this kingdom, Jesus will say the lowly are exalted among the so-called greats of this world. That's what he says. That the lowly, that, that the key, and this isn't just said here, this is said really many times in the Gospels, that, that those who are the last shall be first. That, uh, that, that, that those who are um, least in this kingdom is greater than those that we would want to elevate and push up. And, and ultimately what's happening here is Jesus is just provoking the crowd. And we know he's provoking the crowd because of what happens in verse 29. It says this, When all the people heard this, 
and the tax collectors too, right? I love I love it when uh, the Bible includes like, oh, let me tell you, even the dirtbags heard this, guys. I'm telling you. Okay. When all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, I don't think tax collectors were dirtbags. I don't actually know any because I refuse to be friends with them. Anyways, um, when all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves. Okay, that's, that's something significant to underline a circle. They rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized, um, baptized by Him. Okay? It's been a long weekend. So the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. And now here's, here's, here's where the conflict of grace and pride surfaces this morning. Because there's one group that's baptized by John and another who refused. And, and while the regular people rejoice, the religious have an opposite reaction. Okay? And so, so, so the elites, ultimately what verse 30 is saying, the elites say they don't really need God. Although they kind of do need God because they can't be who they are without their connection to Him. So, so the religious, they, they don't need John's message of repentance because they are already right. They are already good. Like John says repent and they say, ah, we're, we're good. We got you. We got you, man. We got you. And so, so in this process, what Jesus is exposing in their hearts is, is you've rejected God's plan of repentance. You've done it. God sent John to prepare the way, and now I am here. And then what we're going to find is this really interesting transition that Jesus brings us into, verse 31. So, so Jesus kind of says this. He says, those who are least will be greatest in this kingdom. And then we see this response, and, and the regular people and the tax collectors too kind of rejoice. And then, then the, the religious, the Pharisees and the lawyers, they cross their arms, and they're like, no, I don't like that at all. And then we find this. Jesus looks at them, and he says, he says, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation and what they are like? Now, one of the sad things is, we, we're found here, okay? You and I are about to be found here. Our society is about to be found here. We haven't evolved as much as we want to claim that we have, okay? To what shall we compare the people of this generation and what are they like? He says they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. And we sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John, the Baptist, has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Then he says in verse 35, yet wisdom is justified by all our children. Like the results, the results of our hearts eventually sh show themselves for the rest of the world. So, so he comes in 
And these five, these five verses expose the Pharisees, but really, again, also ourselves. Because what Jesus has said is, is, there's no pleasing you guys. There's no pleasing you. No matter what we do, and he, and he uses, and we, don't, we don't find Jesus using a lot of pop cultural references in his day, but this, is, this was a common uh, thing that they would say. Uh, this was just a, a statement. And he says, he said, listen, we, we played the flute for you and you didn't want to dance. And we sang a sad song. You didn't want to weep. And, and then he connects that statement with John and himself. He says, John arrived and he looked with all the looks of your religious movements. And you looked at him and you said, he's a demon. Then he says, I came and I was controversial because I, I went after the hearts of sinners. And I spent time with the people that you guys believed. I am right with God if I will exclude them from my lives. And you looked at me and you said, I'm a drunkard. You said, I'm a glutton. You said, I'm a friend of sinners. And he's like, I am a friend of sinners. And here's, here's at the root of this matter. That, that Jesus will say, you don't want to play by the rules of this game, no matter how many times we try to change the rules for you. You don't want any proposition. There's nothing that will please you. And they, they've never changed. I'm sorry, I should be careful how I just said that. Because I, I don't want you thinking that they've changed the rules to accommodate the people. God has always been truthful about, about how um, you are made right with me. About how you repent of your sin. About how you need to repent of your sin. So, but Jesus says, no matter how we came about this, you're not going to be pleased. You refuse to accept it. And, and so, so you didn't want John because you ultimately don't want me. You want to be right with God, but you only want to be right with God if it comes according to your own terms. And I told you, I told you, didn't I? That you and I are going to be exposed this morning. Because we can talk about that in regards to our salvation, but we can also talk about that in regards to the contempt that we will hold God in at times when life isn't playing out by the way we expect it to, right? Anytime you say, God, I wanted you to do this, this way, God says, wait, hold on. Whose terms do we play this game by? Whose rules? You ever try to play a board game with a three-year-old? Right? You don't know how to play. If you let them lead, they will just play the game. And I promise you this, they will always try to play the game in a way that suits them for winning. And if they don't want to win, they will just clear, they don't win, they clear the board. And this is, this is where we're at. This is what is going to play. You want to be right with God, but you only want to be right with God when it comes according to your own terms. And Swan, we can, we can start wrapping this up. I told you, this, this is a, it's an interesting road, right? Because the scene starts off with two guys coming to Jesus saying, Hey, my friend John has a question for you. And then Jesus will give evidence to, to why that question can be answered in the way that it should be. And, and John leaves, or the disciples leave, and Jesus is like, Hey, John, he's a great guy. And, and as people are wondering how to be made right with God, and, and it ends with this place where he's like, Hey, you... you it is so important that you would understand that John's significance is because I am significant. And, but what's at play in the wrestling of your heart 
is that you want life on your terms and it's just, it's not leading you where you want to go. It's not, it's not possible. So, so Jesus is gracefully helping us work through our own pride. Again, not just with our salvation, but also with all these other areas of our lives. Like, like, do you realize that God has promised that he will never leave you, forsake you? Do you know that God has said, I will, I will always provide for you. I will not leave you destitute. But again, I, I, I've been saying this for weeks now, and I don't know why it just, it keeps coming up, that you can live penniless and happy in God. You can. It is, it is possible. Now, the, one of the biggest hurdles of that is you've got to get over your own self. So the people and the tax collectors too, they, they seem to understand something that the Pharisees and the lawyers refuse to see. And it says, it's taken me a long time to get to this one point. It's simply this, that the gospel says this, that though I am lowly, God grants me access to him through Jesus. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a thought and a, tr- that's a truth around here we never graduate from. Though I've brought nothing to the table, God grants me access to him through Jesus. And this gives me worth. It does. I have worth because of what God has done for me in his love through Jesus. Now, God gives me worth through his love, through his sacrifice, according to his purpose, for his glory. And now the issue, the issue for the religious people in this group says, says that, that I am worthy because I have earned my worth by following the rules. That's what the Pharisees and the lawyers are all up in arms about. That's why they're crossing their arms and they're saying, no, you're wrong about this. And, and, and Jesus is saying that, that I'm sorry, the tragedy is that a person who lives like this struggles to see through their own pride the beauty of God's love. They do. In fact, uh, he is not beholden to us that he should, should even glance in our direction, much less send his son to rescue and redeem us and then adopt us as his very own children to give us access to his glorious inheritance to move among us. What kind of a God is this? How do we respond fitting in fitting ways? And this is the difference between a gift and a transaction, right? And it seems the regular folk and the tax collectors too get this. And it seems that the church folk have a hard time understanding. This is the difference between a gift and a transaction. One is received with gratitude and the other is expected out of obligation. So which is it for you? How, how are you trying to relate to God? Are you, are you trying to go through grace or are you trying to go through pride? I'll shoot straight. One of those avenues will work and the other one's called pride. That's the way it works. That we are saved by grace through faith. I 
I love, I love how Jesus brings us here. Because he's like, John, John is great. John is, John's important, guys. But everything about John's life is leading you to seeing who I am accurately. And you must respond accordingly. Our desire this week is to love God by. As we wrap up, I want to make a couple things available. If you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. I was talking with a pastor uh, the other day about, about prayer taking place in, in this space, specifically on Sunday mornings. And, and, and we were talked about how, how at times people may be hesitant to engage in that prayer because they feel that they'll be exposed. They'll, they'll feel that, that other people will watch you go ask for prayer. And then, then in your mind, you create this scenario, this fake conversation of, I wonder how bad they've messed up today. The purpose of prayer is not to expose, but to draw us closer to the heart of the Father. So if you leave here today and you say, I need prayer, but I'm too prideful to go up, I would just encourage you to fight that temptation. We all have stuff. We all have it. So if you need prayer today, we want to pray with you. You've never asked Jesus into your heart. We want to encourage you to not wait another moment. We believe He is our path to peace and to joy and to purpose. He is the reason why we live, or at least He should be. I love you guys. I really do. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care for us. We thank you that you move amongst us. I thank you for John's willingness to fulfill the role that he's been sent to fill. Father, we pray that our hearts would be soft to the revelation of your love through Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name.